right. Well, let's pray. Lord, we do. We are just amazed by you. Jesus, all that you did for us. It's true. We have nothing to boast in. We have nothing to bring except ourselves, our, our sin, and lay it at the cross, Lord, and receive your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your love. Oh, Lord, we are so blessed, so blessed. What a privilege it is that we can gather together and worship you, that we can oh, just sit at your feet. And Lord, we just ask now as we, as we open your word, as we, as we look into it, Lord, tonight, that you would just bless our time and our fellowship as we study the, the end of, of Abraham's life. And uh, Lord, what a, what a tremendous amount of blessing or lessons we've learned at this point. What a blessing it is to spend this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you would, grab your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 24. Hey, Luke, can I get the, there we go, thank you, so I can see my notes. It'll be a real short message without those. All right, Genesis 24. And as I mentioned, you know, we're, we've been looking at the life of Abraham and uh, tonight we're going to get through the last uh, recorded story of that and get into and actually see, if we'll, we'll finish up as we close out our time tonight, actually the end of Abraham's life. Um, starts out in chapter 24 here, it says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. At this point, Abraham is 140 years old. He will live to be 175, as we're going to see when we get into the first part of chapter 25. But uh, this, is, this incident, this story that's recorded here is really the last story. We're going to get some more information real quickly in a couple of verses of the last 35 years of his life. But if you remember, all the way back in Genesis 12, we were introduced to him. And it told us back then, at the end of 11, we're introduced, chapter 12 is when it kind of starts really talking about him. And it told us there that God said, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out of the land of your family. I want you to leave your family. I want you to go where I am going to send you. Didn't give him any more information other than the fact that I will bless you. I will take care of you. And Abraham, as we talked about, stepped out in complete obedience. He, he followed the Lord. He trusted in the Lord. He didn't go out there because God promised him riches and fame and fortune. He, that wasn't what he was searching for. He just went out, stepping out in obedience. But we read in verse 1 of our text here, that Abraham was blessed by the Lord in every way. And we, we know that that included, he became a very wealthy man. He became a very uh, powerful man in the area, though he owned only one little piece of property where he buried his wife and he'll be buried. But he was a very wealthy, very influential, very powerful man. But that's not why he went out. That's, that, he wasn't going out seeking after those things. And I say that because... He didn't go out worrying what he was going to wear, what he was going to eat, what, what kind of shelter he was going to have. And Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, why are we worrying about those types of things? Why do we focus on that type of stuff? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Seek ye first his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to it. And Abraham's life is a perfect example of that. He sought God. He sought God's kingdom, what God had for him, stepping out in obedience, and God blessed him in all of these other ways. Well, it goes on, verse 2. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, place your hand under my thigh, 
And I will make you swear by my Lord and God of heaven and God of earth that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. As I mentioned last week, we saw a lot of what we call typology or shadows in last week's story about Isaac being a, a shadow or a type of Christ. And we pointed out the fact that the, one of the things that enforces that is the fact that it's mentioned in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in Galatians, it talks specifically about Isaac being a type of Christ. Now that's a type is not an exact representation. It uses the term shadow as you know, something that can point to it. There's things, there's stories that we can, and similarities that we can draw, a picture, if you would. It's not an exact representation, but we see that typology. Well, as we go through this story in chapter 24, we see some beautiful typology and understanding that Isaac is a type of Jesus. Then we see that if he is be, we're going to talk in this story about the bride of Isaac. Who would that be a type of? The church, us as Christians. And as we see another aspect of this right here, we see Abram said to his servant, the oldest of his household, to go out and he sent him out to find the bride. So we see the servant as a beautiful type of the Holy Spirit going out, being sent from the Father to find a bride for his son. Now, again, these aren't exact pictures, they're types. But as we go through this chapter, it's amazing to see the typology that's there. It's a beautiful picture that's being painted for us. Well, it tells us here, and it says to his servant, the oldest of his household. Now, the only servant that's named that we know, and it was the oldest at the time, was Eleazar. And that was back, if you'll remember, Abram said, well, I don't have any descendants, God. You've made these promises to me. They must going to have to come through my, my highest servant, Eleazar. That's the only one. He was, at that point, the highest one. But it's very unlikely that this is still him, because this is many, many, many years later. If it is possibility it is, he remains unnamed. And that's an interesting picture of the typology of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, as we see throughout Scripture, is never really the prominent one. Is, is the one that never seeks to glorify himself. As a matter of fact, it's interesting when you look at all of Paul's letters and the different in the New Testament when he starts out, most of them he says, grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that he never mentions the Holy Spirit in his greetings. Not that the Holy Spirit is any less, but who is the author of all Scripture? The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write those things. And the Holy Spirit is in the background bringing glory to Jesus. So I think that's a pretty interesting fact that he's not named here. The, the servant is not named. But it goes on, the oldest of the household who had charge and owned, place your hand under my thigh. Boy, aren't you glad some customs change. That was a way that they had of basically saying, you're going to solemnly swear to do what I'm sending you out to do, and they would place the hand under the thigh of the person that they were talking to. Verse 5, he sends him out, do not find them from among the Canaanites. Go back to my people. Go back to, and remember we talked about that last week, Abraham, Abraham had received word that his, his brother had children and grandchildren and all of that stuff. So he says, all right, I want you to go back there and find a wife for my son Isaac. 
Verse 5, it tells us, The servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me back to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? Then Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and spoke to me, and whom swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this of my oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. A couple of things just real quickly to, to just mention here. Again, Abraham is saying, giving these specific instructions because he's 140 years old. He doesn't know if he's going to be alive when he comes back. So he's giving specific instructions. If she doesn't come back, do not take Isaac there. Isaac, as we're going to look through and see through his entire life story, never leaves the promised land. His father left and went to Egypt and then came back, if you'll remember, but Isaac never does. And he says here that Abraham's faith at this point, he's seen God work in so many ways and he is totally convinced God will take care of this. God will send his angel ahead of you. God will provide a wife for my son there. But just to put the servant at ease, he said, if it doesn't work out, you are free from your oath. Don't, don't worry. And they took oaths very seriously back then. So he was giving him the out. If God does not provide, you, you are free from the oath. So he goes back, verse 10 then. Then the servant took ten, cam ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city of the well of water at the evening, the time when women would go out to draw water. This journey was between, probably, the guesstimates is what I was reading, between four and five hundred miles by camel. So we're talking several weeks that transpire from when they left to when they get to where they're going. And it doesn't mention any of that. We can only speculate as to what happened. But I can imagine the servant as he's going, and we don't know how many people are with him. There are some, obviously. Little caravan going. But a lot of time spent in, in prayer and wondering, God, how are you going to do this? How is this all going to work out? Where exactly am I going? I'm not, I, I, don't, I know the general direction that I'm supposed to be going, but where specifically? God, you're going to have to do that. And just a whole lot of, a lot of time, a lot of quiet time and prayer time with the Lord as they went. And I can only insinuate that and assume that based on the first thing that he does when he gets there, if you'll see, verse 12. It says, he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. The first thing he does when he gets to the place that he thinks that God has led him to, again, God has been guiding and directing this whole way, and he believes that, is to pray to God and say, all right, God, you've brought me here, give me success here. You know why I'm here. You know all of the details. You've been guiding and leading this whole thing. Give me success today. Now, a couple of things to notice to me as I see in this prayer that stand out to me. First of all, it's pretty spectacular what he asks for. Now, it's, it's, it's not impossible, but it's highly improbable 
that, that this, this is going to play out this way, but he puts it out there that way. He, he, he doesn't put some high, lofty, impossible thing to test God. We are told not to test God. As a matter of fact, if you'll remember, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he told him, he took him up on the highest point, pinnacle of the temple, and he said, jump down. The angels are going to take care of you. Go ahead, jump down. Show everybody who you are. Jump down. The angels will take you. He says, do not test the Lord your God. Don't, don't put God to an impossible test. You know, don't, don't put something out there that's, that's out, out of the realm of possibility. Not that God can't do it, but that's not, that's not what he's asking here. It's possible, highly improbable, but possible. But the thing that, that amazes me in this, and the thing that I, that I think we f- do far more than testing God with impossible things, is we aim way too low with our prayers. We say, we don't, we don't give God enough credit as to what he can do by answering prayer. And it, if, if you'll turn real quickly, keep your finger here, but this is an amazing verse and has some amazing application to us if we understand it. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. If we believe this, we need to raise the bar on our prayer requests. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Abundantly, beyond what we are able to even think, to comprehend. That is what God is capable of doing and he wants to do. That's his desire to do in our lives. If, you, if you're in Ephesians 3 here, look up to verse 16. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He wants to do these abundantly great things that we can't even imagine asking. Why? Because of his love for us. Because of his love for us. That we can't measure its height, its width, its depth. Because of his love. So he asks this spectacular thing. Not only that he would walk up and, and to a totally strange woman and ask her for a drink of water and she would give it to him, but that she would volunteer to draw water for all of his camels. Spectacular, but it's also very specific. And that's another thing that I think, again, in our prayers, we fall so short of. We ask God, oh God, please bless me. He's asking for blessing, but he gets very specific. So often I believe that our prayer requests are so vague, we wouldn't know if God answered them or not. We, we, he, he, he blesses us and we, we miss the blessing because we didn't specifically ask for that. Specifically, he gives it to us. Now, part of being specific, understand, is being completely surrendered. Being specific about things that we want for our own desires and to fill our own needs and for our, uh, de- de- demanding our own wishes, that's not at all what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact, it tells us in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, many people, many, many, many people in churches have gone way off track with this teaching. 
Because if you read this, you can, you can understand this two ways. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That can be understood two ways, can it not? So can the, a sign that would say, Jesse James, wanted for murder. That could be understood two ways. I want Jesse James because I want him to go murder somebody. That's how it could be read, right? Jesse James wanted for murder. But we know what it means. We understand what it means because of the history behind it. We know who Jesse James was. He was wanted because he had murdered. Well, if we read this understanding God and understanding Scripture and understanding how he works in our lives, delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, that means he will place his desires in our hearts. And then he'll give them to us. It doesn't mean that he's going to give us the big house on the hill because that's the desire of my heart. He's going to place the desire in my heart. And so often we can try to manipulate God in our prayers. That's not what he's doing here. I truly believe that the reason he prayed this specific prayer is those days and weeks that he spent on his camel riding there praying to God, God placed that in his heart. God placed that desire, that request in his heart. And understanding that successful prayer is a prayer that originates in the heart of the Father, is delivered to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and then we just lift that prayer back up to him. That's the, that's the completed prayer circuit. And when we understand that that is prayer, that is the power in prayer, when, when we desire that more than we desire anything that we could want in our own flesh, we're going to see answered prayer. We're going to see prayer in amazing ways because God is going to place it in our heart and we're going to lift it back up to him. I've, maybe you have heard this story already. I've, there's a uh, Calvary Chapel Bible College and there's a conference center in Marietta, California. It's a beautiful place. If you ever get a chance, if you're ever there, you can go by and check it out. It's just an absolutely gorgeous campus. Well, going back many years ago, this, it was owned and it was in a lot of disrepair because it hadn't been used by, and the couple that had changed hands had been in and out of bankruptcy and all this other kind of stuff. Well, they wanted, I think it would start it out at $12 million. Well, one day Chuck Smith is driving through the area and he just felt the Lord lay on his heart $6 million. So he called them up and offered them $6 million for the property and they said, no way, you're crazy. $12 million. And he says, well, the Lord told me $6 million. And they said, well, no way. They call him back about a year later and said, well, we haven't been able to sell it. We've reduced the price to $9 million. And Pastor Chuck said, the Lord told me six. That's what I'll pay, $6 million. No way, can't do it. Well, the bottom line is, two and a half years later, Pastor Chuck and Calvary Chapel bought the property for $6 million, and it's Calvary Chapel's Bible College now. Because he listened to the, the desire that God had placed in his heart, and then God delivered that desire. And that's, that's just, a, just the, how amazing and awesome our God is. We listen to him. He places his desires in our hearts, makes them our desire, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, and then blesses us with that. Well, as we continue, it says, verse 15, Before he had finished speaking, Behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. I love that. Before he had even finished speaking. Before he had finished speaking, the prayer is being answered. 
We see that for, illustrated in Daniel chapter 9 and 10 where Daniel is praying and the angel appears to him and says, your prayer was being answered as soon as you started praying it. I, uh, many of you know I had a, 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 a hot tub business um, prior to becoming a pastor. And then when I came on staff as an assistant pastor initially, I, I had to keep working both. So uh, we had closed the store down, but I was still doing service work and deliveries and, and different things like that on, on my days off from the church. Well, we had a particular month, couple of months stretch where things were really tight financially. And I, uh, I remember sitting upstairs, and it was on a Friday afternoon. I will never forget it. It's like probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm, try- and I'm paying bills, and I'm short. I don't have enough to cover the bills that have to be paid on Monday. And I'm $300 short. And I don't get paid again for a while. I, have, I, I don't have a store that I can go open up and, and sell some things. So I'm really sitting there, and I have nothing. And I put everything down, and I put my head down on the desk, and I just started praying. I said, Lord, you know these needs. You know exactly what we need. And I don't have it, but I know that you are far above this, and I just gotta, I just gotta lift this up to you. And while I am praying, my cell phone rings. And the person on the other end, I answer, the person on the other end of the phone says, do you still move hot tubs? I said, yeah. And they said, well, I have to have mine moved by noon tomorrow. Can you move my hot tub tomorrow? I said, yeah. She goes, how much do you charge? $300? Great, we'll see you tomorrow morning. <laughs> she had to be looking for my phone number and dialing before I started praying. God was already answering that prayer before I prayed it. That's how amazing our God is. Rebecca was already on her way to the watering hole when, this, when the servant was praying. That's how much our God loves us. That's how much our God wants to be interacting and, and moving within uh, what our, our life is going on. I, I did want to share, and I have it in my, I missed it here in my, I just got to go back, I got to share a praise report with you guys. We, you know, we were talking about being specific in our prayers. We, uh, the other night, got together as elders and we're praying, and uh, one of our, our elders, uh, uh, Dave Patton, has uh, lung cancer. Found out a couple of weeks ago that he has lung cancer. And they, initially when they did the, the, some more tests, they were very concerned that it had spread to his lymph nodes. And if they did that, it's metastasized and they can't do the surgery and he's gonna have to go through chemotherapy and everything. So we got together on Sunday night as elders and we prayed for him and we specifically prayed that the cancer would be removed from his lymph nodes and it would blow away the doctors. I remember praying that and someone else saying, Lord, amaze the doctors. Blow them away. Because they, they said it. They, they're predicting this. Well, just before I came over here, got a call from Dave. Surgery is scheduled for next Thursday because he's cancer-free in his lymph nodes. And the doctors are blown away. <laughs> to quote Dave, the doctor said on the phone earlier, we can't believe it specifically answering prayer. Not only is he cured, but it blew the doctors away. So, right on. Okay. Well, verse 16. It says, uh, she came out to water, get the water. The girl was very beautiful, a, bir- a virgin, and no man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled the jar, her jar and came up. Now, I love this too about God and answered prayer. He was praying, if you'll remember his prayer specifically, how he was praying. And the first requirement was that she not be a Canaanite. That came from Abraham. She had to come from this area. But the, the things that he outlined were that, you know, that she would be a humble 
servant, that she would work hard, that she'd be strong, obviously, to be able to do all of these things. All of this stuff that he laid out. And then when we see here, the first thing that describes her in verse 16 is she's very beautiful. Bonus. He didn't even ask for that. God said, all right, I'm going to give you all of that and make her beautiful too. Verse 17, then the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. Again, not just praying and sitting, praying then acting, moving out. Just like he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. I'm going to say this, Lord, and then you take it from there. So he did. He moved out. She said, verse 18, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar, lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all of his camels. Meanwhile, the man, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. <laughs> when the camels had finished drinking, now, camels. I did a little, little background on this, understanding camels. We all know camels can go an extended period of time without drinking water. That's why they're built for desert travel and everything like that. But when they do drink, they drink a lot. Ten camels average 20 gallons of water times 10, 200 gallons of water. <laughs> She didn't go once down. She didn't go twice down. Can you imagine how many trips she made to get all of that water? Again, spectacular request. Not impossible. Now, I look at this, and I see, again, <laughs> you can read verse 21, the man gazing at her in silence, sitting there watching her do all the work, and think, man, get up. Get doing that. But if you remember his request, if he would have gotten up and interrupted, only had her start the job, would he have known that his prayer would have been completely answered? No, he asked for this specific thing. If she quit previously to the end, if, if, she, if she got enough water for the first camel and said, man, this is killing me, I'm done, it wouldn't have been the answer to what his prayer was. So when the camels had finished drinking, verse 22 says, the man took a gold ring, weighed a half a shekel, and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethul, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Abraham's granddaughter. He finds, he finds this out. This is his grand Jackpot. Bam. Here it is. Total answer to the question. Total answer to the prayer. And she said to him, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. That's the only right response to an answer to prayer like that, amen? Worship the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. Again, just absolutely blown away by how God guided every step of this. And I love what he says. He says, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. The Lord has guided me. The Lord has directed every step. One of my favorite sections is I've, I've it's, it's so applicable in so many different ways is Isaiah chapter 30. 
and you can check it out later. Just I'll just go there real quickly. But it says in the beginning, Isaiah chapter 30, starting in verse 1, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. The problem isn't going to Egypt, as he's talking about here. The problem isn't going to others. The problem isn't going to the world to, for help. It's done, the problem is, is if it's done without consulting God, without going to God first, without letting him lead the way. There are many people that say you shouldn't go to the doctor because that shows a lack of faith. Well, you absolutely should go to the doctor if the Lord leads you to go to the doctor. The first step that we should have is to follow the example of this servant. Go to God first and allow him to lead you and guide you in that path. When we do, and this is where I would come to with this, is in Isaiah, when he goes on in Isaiah, it says, verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are those who long for him, who desire for him to guide and lead them. And then verse 21, your ears will hear a word from behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or the left. Surrendered to his will and following him in his way, he does guide step by step. Turn right, turn left. I will lead you. I will guide you. I will protect you. I will go before you. And he obviously does that here. And again, I love the fact that the servant gives all praise and glory and honor to him. Well, then verse 28, then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. He's going to come into play here in a couple of chapters. And Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelet on his sister's wrist... And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, This is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside, since I have prepared the house and a place for all of your gold and silver, and, or, I mean your camels? Come on in. <laughs> Laban, we're going to find, is a very greedy, selfish man, as, we, as we'll find out in several chapters. But... So the man entered the house, then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw to feed and feed to the camels, and water to the wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. Now verse 33, but when the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. Now, that's very, that's not following the custom of the day. Typically, you're supposed to come in, and this gracious host would lay out the feast before you. You eat, you get fellowship and everything, and then if you had business, you'd discuss that after dinner. But not, not our servant, not the one who's in our story. He says, I have important pressing business. I have a one-track mind. I am here for one reason and one reason only. We need to talk about this, and then we'll have dinner. And they agree. They said, okay, go ahead, speak on. Verse 34. So he said, and he begins into his story, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. Do you think that's how he said it? I don't. I got to think that after everything that has gone on with this, he goes, you guys aren't going to believe this. I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master so that he has become rich. And he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants and maids and camels and donkeys. Oh, my now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. 
My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But you shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Suppose the woman doesn't want to follow me. He said, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel. He'll send his angel. Believe it or not, his angel. And he did with you to take the journey successful, and you will take a wife from my son and my relatives and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my relatives, and if they do not give her to you, or you, and you will be free from my oath. So I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if you will make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I am standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she will say to me, you, you drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I finish speaking, you're not going to believe this, but your daughter Rebecca came out, and her jar was on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring, and I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder, and she said, drink, and I will water your camels also. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. And then I said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. And I put the ring on her nose and bracelets on her wrist. Can you believe that? I mean, I can only imagine how excited he was to retell the story. The amazing miracle that God had done. How he had been working through this whole thing. This is totally impossible based on, you know, the, the statistical anomalies that are involved in this. If that's it, that's the statistical whatever. Highly improbable how this is all going to happen. But it all happened just this way. The testimony, recounting what God has done in our lives, the miraculous things he's done, the things that we hear, the things that we share, God doing it. That's why it's so important to have a prayer journal, writing down things that you're praying for, writing down when and specifically how God answers those prayers so that we can share that with other people. We can tell people about the great things God has done. You know what? A lot of times, it's been said, a lot of times, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, you are the only Bible a lot of them will ever read. Now, that sounds cliche-ish, but it's so true. Because I have to tell you, most of them, if they have no, if they don't, if they have no church background if, or if they have had a bad church experience or whatever, they don't care about what the Bible says. They honestly, right up front, don't want to hear what the Bible says. But they will listen to what's happened to you. They'll listen to your experiences. They'll listen to what God has done in your life. And do you explain it? And I guess my point that I want to make with this is, do you explain it with the same passion that you do if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan and they win the Super Bowl this Sunday? Are you going to explain it with that excitement? So often, when we talk about the things that God's done, it's like ah, almost apologizing when we're explaining it. Or... You know, you tell them, you know, yeah, I, I heard a, you know, a friend of mine, they were talking about it. He had, he had cancer and it was in his lymph nodes and, you know, they found out now that it's not and they're going to be able to do the surgery. Isn't that cool? It is cool, but God did it. And to share that with the enthusiasm and the excitement that God did this. 
God did this. They can't deny what God does in your life. They might try to deny the story that we're reading right here and say, yeah, you know what, that's, that's just story. That's fairy tale. That's fable. They can't deny what's happened in your life. We need to have the same excitement and passion when we talk about what God does in our lives and in the lives of other people around us as we do everything else that goes on, all the other crazy coincidences that happen. All right, well, moving on. Verse 48. And I bowed low and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take uh, the daughters of my master's kinsmen for his son. Now... If you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right or the left. Then Laban, her brother, and Bethuel, her dad, replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you good or bad. Probably the result of the fact that he's so excited. And the fact that God did this. All of this. They said, well, who are we to argue with God? Take her. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord again, worshiping the Lord. Verse 53, the servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. Here again, we see another beautiful picture of the type that we have here. Now that the arrangement has been made, she's given new clothes. She's given new garments. No more filthy rags. Now clothed in righteousness, we are as the bride of Christ. Revelation 19, 7, 7 and 8 tells us, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, which he has prepared beforehand for us to do. Amazing. We're gonna be clothed in new garments as well. We're verse 54. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose early in the morning, he said, send me away with my master. Send me away to my master, sorry. But her brother and her mother said, let the girl stay with us a few days, say 10. Afterwards, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has pro pro prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her and consult her wishes. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. Again, another beautiful picture, type we see of the church. She's never seen Isaac, never laid eyes on him. Here's this guy who yesterday afternoon shows up at the well, and now she's going to leave and go with him. She's going to go to this man to marry Isaac strictly based on what she's been told, what's been revealed to her about Isaac. And the same is true with us. We've never seen our Lord and Savior. But it says in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Again, just a beautiful picture of that. Verse 59, thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the men. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. 
Now again, verse 61 to 62 makes it sound like they just went across the street. 400 to 500 miles they spent going back again. Many days and weeks as they're going. And again, can you imagine the conversation? First of all, again, she, she knows nothing more than just the, the brief conversation they had the night before. She agreed to go back. Him telling her now about Isaac and about Abraham and about how God has blessed them and all of these things as they continue to go. Verse 62, now Isaac had come from had been come from going to Bir Lahel Roy, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. Now, I read past this and didn't see anything of it, and then I was reading Pastor Chuck Smith's devotion on this section, and he picked that verse. She dismounted from her camel as the verse to talk about. And I, that's what I just love, Pastor Chuck. How can you, how can you find something like that? Where, where's the illustration there? But his illustration was this, and it's awesome. There is application. She just spent a couple of weeks on a bumpy, dusty, stinking camel. And when she got there, well, it couldn't have been a pleasant ride. She's not used to riding a camel. I mean, she's, she's used to taking care of things, but riding that kind of, the pain and the discomfort and everything like that, she doesn't get off the camel and kick the camel. As soon as she gets off the camel, she's almost thanking the camel for bringing her. And the application being, we can look at our lives and the things that we go through and the difficulties and the trials that we go through and as a result, it gets us to our destination, which is our bridegroom, Jesus. Amen. And we don't look at it as a stinking, filthy, disgusting camel. <laughs> it's the transportation that brought us to him. And when we stand in his presence, as she did in this, she doesn't think about the camel anymore. She's so enamored with Isaac, and we will be with our Lord. Verse 65, she said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her to his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. I just want to make one real quick point here, and then I did want to get through a couple of verses here in the next chapter before we get going. Uh, ladies, it says in here uh, in verse 65, it took, she, he, she took her veil and covered herself, showing modesty and humility. And I, wanted, I just want to make a quick point to you, you older ladies, that it, it says in Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And I'm focusing on that word pure, because our culture today is teaching our young ladies to be anything but pure. And this is especially coming from a father of a 13-year-old girl. I need you to train my daughter. Train the young women in our church. Because this, the, the, the world out there is telling them something totally different. 
But what a beautiful picture of how Rebecca wanted to be presented to her bridegroom. She, she wanted to meet her bridegroom modestly, humility. And it's, it's important to teach our young women that they should dress and behave as though they are reserved for one, not available to any. And unfortunately, it's the other way around in our culture. So I would just ask you as a personal favor to me and all other fathers of young women that, that you pray about that and see how the Lord might use you in that. Well, as we move on, chapter 25. I'm just going to take a look real at this really quickly. Um, it just covers the end of, end of Abraham's life. It says, now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him... Zimran, Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua, and it goes on now, and it talks about some of their descendants from there. Um, now Abraham gave all, verse 5, that he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, who is Hagar, whose son was Ishmael, and here uh, Keturah, whose sons are listed, that doesn't mean, the concubines here, it tells us that he took another wife. That just means lesser wife. That's one of the things that it can mean. Obviously, we know about the relationship with Hagar. We talked about that in detail. But to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living and sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. Some guesstimating that's Saudi Arabia into that area. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived. 175 years. And he breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man. And satisfied with life, he was gathered to his people. Now, it's interesting. What happens, where, did, where, where were his people gathered? Where did, where did people go back then? They didn't go to heaven. We see in Luke chapter 16, it's, it's, not, it's called Abraham's bosom when we get to Ab Luke 16. wasn't called that before, obviously. He wasn't there. But now he's there. Abraham's bosom, a place where when you died, it was called paradise, separated from, from Hades by this impassable chasm. And we don't have time to get into that tonight, but if you want to read about that, Luke chapter 16, it is not a parable, it is a true story. And it talks about that, and it talks about the separation of that. Jesus, when he, before he died, he hadn't paid the penalty for sin, so they couldn't be in heaven. But it tells us in Ephesians, he, after that, he descended and, and the, in the three days. He descended and took the captives captive and took them to heaven. That's not, now Abraham's bosom is empty. They are in heaven. You can, Luke chapter 16. I said we don't have time, and there I go. All right, verse 9. Then his son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zehor the Hittite, facing Mamre. So he's buried in the same place that his wife Sarah is buried, the field which Abraham purchased from his sons of Heth, where Abraham was buried with, his, with Sarah, his wife. It came about after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived in Bir Laha Roy. Now these are the records of the generations of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maid, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael, and it goes on through there, his 12 sons. Verse 16 tells us they're 12 princes, according to the tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, verse 17, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. Now, there's some 
disagreement as to what that means was gathered to his people. Does that to a different place than, than Abraham? Because of, you know, again, this, the, the hostility that talks about and everything. I believe it is. I believe that, that Ishmael is in heaven because I believe that he believed in the true and living God. Now, I have no biblical basis other than he saw what God did. He, he was b- blown away. He, he was rescued, Hagar, his mother Hagar and him. Now, not a doctrinal stance, just saying it says the same place. He was gathered to his people. His people was Abraham. Abraham was his father. But again, not going not gonna to take a, a really firm stance on that one, but it, he dies 137 years old. Verse 18, they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes towards Assyria. He settled in defiance of all of his relatives, which remember when God gave the, the prophecy about him that he would be in constant battle with his brothers and his descendants obviously became a huge, the enemies of the Jewish people, the Israel, Israelites. So, all right, we will pick it up there. It's kind of an interesting chapter break, but we're going to get into that. that uh, verse 19 is where we will start with the generations of Isaac starting next week. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you again for your word and, and how, as we've studied over the last several weeks, the life of Abraham, the amazing, uh, the amazing blessings, the amazing lessons that we can learn from that. And Lord, as we, as we looked at tonight, we see such a beautiful picture of your love for us in Abraham's love for his son, how he sent his servant out to find the perfect wife for his son. And Lord, we see in that the incredible work of your Holy Spirit that you send out to bring us as the bride for Jesus, your son. Lord, we thank you for that work. We thank you for drawing us. We thank you for for placing this desire in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did to 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 pay for our redemption to draw us to you, taking our sin upon yourself, clothing us in your righteousness. We are blessed. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.